Hey, this is Mohal Joshi from Los Angeles, California. I follow Indian foreign policy and defense with a special focus on Asia. You can follow me on Twitter at Mohal Joshi. Hey, this is Kishore Narayan from Bengaluru in India. I am an international relations expert specializing in global security, conflict resolution, and international negotiation. My focus areas include peace building and digital diplomacy. You can find me on Twitter at Veggie Diplomat. Hello and welcome to episode 31 of India Rising, Strategic Affairs Conversations with Mohal and Kishore, a show in which we analyze the happenings from around the world and their impact on India. Before we begin with today's episode, we just hope that you and your loved ones are safe at home and are healthy during these troubled times. Remember to stay home and stay safe. Joe Biden will be the 46th president of the United States amidst wide-ranging ramifications of the happenings from the last four years. Trump presidency, uh, corona pandemic, US-China tariff wars are just some of the examples of what we had to witness in the past four years. So uh, we will be looking at what uh, the new Biden administration means for India and what are the takeaways that uh, the government in New Delhi uh, would want to uh, take take away and also uh, handle in terms of uh, the uh, new administration. So uh, Mohal, uh, you want to start off with uh, uh, how Biden has always looked at India? Yeah, so... As you know, like Joe Biden uh, was a United States Senator from the state of Delaware from 1973 to 2009 uh, when uh, he assumed the vice presidency under Obama. So there is a long uh, and recorded history of uh, his experience with uh, dealing with India. So one of the, I mean, the seminal moments strategic events of the late 90s was obviously the nuclear test in Pokhran too. So uh, let me go through some of the events that happened just past uh, post the Pokhran too. So two days after the initial test in Pokhran, uh, in May on May 13, 1998, the Senate Foreign Relations Committee held a hearing. So now Senator uh, Biden uh, attended the hearing and he made some... Uh, uh, quite quite a few interesting comments and I'll go through a whole host of them. Obviously, I couldn't can't go through the whole statement. So interestingly, he did start out by making some usual patronizing comments about Indian moral standing and calling out, you know, the test as his responsible actions. Uh, however, later in the statement, uh, interestingly, he did recognize the long-term strategic interest of a closer India-US relationship. Now, he said that unlike other nations, India is not a rogue nuclear state and uh, India had shared values with the the United States of America. Now, he did acknowledge that the nuclear test had made uh, the short-term relationship uh, much difficult for having good relations with India. And he wanted India to pay a steep price for uh, testing, but also acknowledge that the nation of India's size and stature cannot be isolated uh, forever and called for engagement with India. Uh, interestingly, I mean, for what was, I think, Kishore Par for the 90s, uh, he wanted India to sign CTBT and NPT, uh, which thankfully, like, we didn't sign up. But, um, I mean, this was the overall picture of India. I mean, he also 
later on identified india's defeat in the 1962 war with the china and the growing chinese cooperation with pakistan uh, in the military domain to be part of the in, uh, calculus in indian minds to go overtly nuclear uh, interestingly even our uh, late uh, defense minister george fernandes gets a honorable mention when he refers to uh, george fernandes once calling china as india's enemy number one in the late 90s which i think quite ruffled quite a lot of feathers in beijing and also in delhi i mean this was the time in the 90s when the main threat was always perceived to be pakistan and uh, i mean it was like his foresight that george fernandes uh, could see the potential threat from china which is now exponentially uh, exponentially way more than uh, what it was back then so um, as part of his uh, concluding statements like biden does advocate some out of the box thinking of having india and pakistan sign the ctbt the comprehensive test ban treaty and the uh, non proliferation treaty the npt and he acknowledged the india to be a accepted nuclear weapons state now this was something which was not very receptive in for everyone in washington back then i mean this was a radically opposite to another senator richard helms who wanted india to completely give up its weapons before any rapprochement with india i mean which is kind of ridiculous that i mean no nuclear power is going to give up weapons after they just went overtly nuclear so um, i mean this was like the brief background of uh, i mean even like back in the 90s like when the relationship with india and uh, us was like much weaker than what it was today he did see the benefit of a long term strategic relationship with india uh precisely called out that india is a responsible nuclear power uh and it should be brought in the nuclear fold versus becoming a pariah now why this new responsible nuclear power is important because just 3 years later i mean the economic sanctions uh, he wrote a letter to then president uh, george w bush that the economic sanctions against india were serve to uh, stigmatize and not rather than stabilize you know and then if the sanctions are not removed uh, like india will pro- uh, respond with reciprocal acts of uh, goodwill in non proliferation and other arenas so he saw that like you know it was it didn't serve a purpose beyond a certain amount of time maybe after the 3 years post the test to continue sanctioning india and they could uh, respond with a reciprocal act of uh, like you know committing to non proliferation which was like a big uh, topic and continues to be a big topic even today now moving forward to the end of the george w bush term uh, in the second term as we know that the landmark us india civil and nuclear agreement was signed and <clears throat> when the when both sides were doing uh, negotiations uh, senator biden uh, was a critical ally of india in the senate he traveled to india with a couple of senators like chuck hegel and senator john kerry uh, in early 2008 before the us congress approved the nuclear deal and i mean he was a constant proponent of the deal and was certainly critical to its access so from 1998 he moved from calling calling india a, a probable nuclear responsible state to eventually pushing for a, a nuclear deal kishor Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, 
I think I think how these uh, uh, senators look at India is that uh, India needs to be uh, handheld uh, on its way to uh, international recognition and uh, getting to the front stage. And in that, as part of that handholding, they would want India to align its thinking, align its preferences, align its choices with. Uh, what they think is right for India, and I think that's the common uh, thread that we see across the uh, across the developments of the past uh, two, three, four decades, and uh, that is again uh, amply clear, even in the way Biden has looked at India. Okay, so uh, we'll also have to look at uh, what Biden uh, felt about uh, India, especially during. Uh, the run-up to the uh, November third uh, elections. So uh, during during an address on August fifteenth, uh, Biden described the Indo-U.S. relationship as a special bond, and he also recalled his role in securing the passage of the uh, India-U.S. civil nuclear agreement that uh, Mohan you also pointed out, uh, where he was a senior member of the uh, Senate mm-hmm. Foreign Relations Committee. Now, he again pledged to continue standing with India and confronting the threats it faces in its own region and along its border, obviously implying uh, China and Pakistan, uh, while also working with India to, uh, to expand trade, tackle global challenges such as the climate crisis, and also strengthen democracy. Now, in his words, uh, he actually uh, said that he hoped for a for an honest conversation about all issues as close friends. So uh, Biden did not limit uh, uh, limit uh, or Biden did not see uh, the bilateral relationship to be limited to only a few uh, genres, uh, to a few topics, rather uh, to encompass almost all uh, aspects of uh, bilateral relationship. And I think that is what uh, Biden had, Biden. Uh, would continue to uh, push for once uh, he assumes office. So uh, in his article in Foreign Affairs, which was published in March, Biden also effectively promised to build upon uh, Trump's approach to the Indo-Pacific region. He argued that U.S. needed to work with democratic friends in Asia beyond North America and Europe, including Australia, Japan, South Korea, India, and Indonesia as well. Now, uh, his his point was that you need to do that to advance shared values in a region that will actually determine the United States' future. Um, also, in his pl- policy platform, uh, articulated in a document called Joe Biden's Agenda for the Indian American Community, uh, he pledged to work with India to support a rules-based and stable Indo-Pacific region in which no country, including China, would be able to threaten its neighbors with impunity. Mohan, uh, you have anything to add here uh, about how uh, he made all the right noises with regard yeah, to I mean, the American community? Yeah, I mean, uh, regarding the... He has pledged to work with the... And not only the Indian American community, but also continue with the Quad in the Indo-Pacific. Mm-hmm. So uh, it'll be interesting to see as the administration takes uh, charge how the uh, the Indo-Pacific and especially the Quad 
uh, evolves over time because uh, i mean it, it was revived under the trump administration after a gap of 10 years i mean both india and australia were supposed to be the reluctant partners in the quad mm-hmm. so it will be interesting to see in the days ahead uh, how this progresses i mean even uh, even the the nominees which are i think that on the there are hearings happening on capitol hill for the secretary of defense and uh, they have continued to uh mention that they want to deepen and broaden the defense cooperation through quad and other regional multilateral agreements uh today on the hearing also mentioned like uh, further operational major defense partner status and continue to elevate the partnership and ensure in us and india can collaborate uh on in a whole host of forums so i mean this is just like uh on the base on the he- hearings on capital hill for secretary of defense nominee lloyd austin mm-hmm. so i'm just quoting from what i just read today okay uh, yeah yeah so uh, in a way they they have made all the right noises uh, building up to the uh, elections trying to woo the indian american com- community and also after uh, the results were declared uh, mm-hmm. wherein uh, as part of the uh, senate hearings for appointments um, there as well they they have uh, kind of uh, uh, placed proper emphasis on the indo uh, us ties so uh, what actually is of uh, uh, prime importance is to understand how the biden administration would actually be staffed and would actually want to take charge so uh, let me give you an example so uh, Biden uh, administration, once it takes charge, uh, we would want to understand how important is India for the, the United States. For example, uh, we all know that uh, Russia and China would be uh, the top one and two uh, in either order. But uh, beyond that, would India be uh, placed uh, up above or would it be EU and other old alliances that... Uh, uh united states has always had for a long time so i think these are the questions that new delhi would want uh, answers for to understand how a biden administration would look at india and uh, based on that india would also want to uh, make its moves so uh, again uh, looking back to the trump presidency uh, we'll also have to understand that uh, uh, the the state department was highly understaffed uh, and in fact uh, they took a long long time maybe close to a year uh, to appoint uh, any bureaucrat uh, of uh, stature for uh, the assistant secretary of state for the south asia region so uh, all this all this kind of lacuna would imply uh, to new delhi that the new administration is not so keen on uh, developing the uh, indo us uh, not developing but taking forward uh, the bilateral ties forward so i think these are the subtle moves that uh, people would be watching uh, mohal uh, i think even you would agree uh, that uh, the state department was quite understaffed under the trump yeah. administration yes so i think uh, uh, we everybody would be keenly watching how and how quickly uh mm-hmm. would uh, such uh, appointments be made okay so uh, yeah so that was with regards to the appointments and uh, the actual bureaucratic uh, setup but the other thing that uh, everybody would want to look at is 
uh, in terms of uh, trade negotiations and also climate change. Remember, uh, Trump was actually perceived as a transactional uh, president in terms mm-hmm. of his style and uh, working. And he, uh, he placed a lot of emphasis on bilateral trade. He wasn't a person who would vouch for multilateral uh, trade deals. He always wanted uh, bilateral one-on-one uh, trade deals. So he would not hesitate to impose uh, tariffs, not only on uh, force, but also on friendly nations. So uh, as part of his uh, bleed all, uh, bleed one, bleed all strategy, I think he ended up uh, imposing tariffs on not only uh, EU, but also uh, India as well. And that eventually uh, led to reciprocal uh, tariffs being uh, imposed by India, EU, Canada. I mean, all, all, all old trade partners of the US ended up imposing uh, tariffs on the US. Now, uh, Trump, Trump's claim was that this actually helped in bringing jobs back to the US. But from an overall global trade perspective, I think the tariffs, uh, I mean, it was no secret that the tariffs actually led to a uh, slump in global trade. So I think uh, this was, uh, uh, this continues to remain a major concern. And uh, there have been quite a bit of uh, ch- chatter uh, everywhere that uh, Trump may be gone, but uh, Trumpism might remain. And mm-hmm. uh, this kind of approach might actually be an antipathy to uh, foreign trade, which might uh, then mean, which might then raise a question as to how uh, Biden would want to look at uh, tariffs and uh, trade negotiations. So I think this is one more aspect that uh, Delhi would want to uh, keenly observe uh, news coming out of uh, DC. And again, uh, uh, Trump uh, was uh, quite vocal in his opposition to uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership, TPP, and uh, he quickly walked out of it. And uh, again, uh, we would want to see how Biden would want to look at multilateral trade deals. And uh, would they want to go back to multilateral yeah, trade Yeah, I think given the the thin majorities they have in the Senate and the House, I would see it. I don't think a TPP being revived in any way, shape or form for the time being. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there could be some uh, one-on-one deal. So I think with, uh, I think uh, the Indian Commerce Minister Piyush Goel, uh, I hope I get his ministry right here. I think he had uh, mentioned some time ago that there could be a possibility of doing a limited trade deal sometime before the election. So maybe with... Now, uh, the Trump's uh, hawkish approach, which was very transactional, if it's gone, maybe a softer approach might allow a partial kind of a deal be to be negotiated between the United States and India uh, on this front. Uh, agree, agree. I think, I think that is the key. Uh, both, uh, both countries would want to take this uh, slow one step at a time. Uh, the eventual end goal would be a, a win-win situation of a one-on-one uh, trade deal between the U.S. and uh, India. Uh, I think that is what uh, both countries would aim for. But there is a lot mm-hmm. of ground to cover before that. So I think nobody would want to hurry uh, hurry through uh, to get that. Uh, they would want to take baby steps and uh, go there eventually. Uh, yeah, and with regards to uh, the climate change again, uh, we know that uh, uh, Biden uh, has appointed uh, John Kerry as a special envoy to uh, 
uh, special envoy for the climate change talk. So, uh, and uh, he has also mentioned that on the very first day of uh, presidency, he would want uh, the United States to re-enter the Paris uh, Accord. So I think uh, the focus will continue to be on uh, on uh, uh, taking steps to uh, to limit uh, the change, uh, changes of uh, uh, the adversarial uh, climate change. So I think uh, uh, Biden would also go around the world uh, tom-toming about that. And uh, that in that regard, I think uh, it needs to be seen from an Indian perspective also if Biden would want to uh, advocate uh, this kind of uh, uh, emission cuts and other other stuff that India can do. Now the, the, now the point is, uh, we all know that India would not budge easily and would, India would not even uh, look at this as some kind of a, a, a deal or some kind of a deal breaker. Uh, so uh, the question is, will actually Biden take the bait and ask India to cut down on emission uh, um, norms? I think that's the kind of questions that uh, India would have, uh, and uh, let's see how. Yeah. So yeah. So interestingly, today in another Senate confirming hearing for uh, Blinken, mm -hmm. who is going to be the Secretary of State. So interestingly, in a India-China question, mm -hmm. uh, Blinken mentioned that uh, there, like, we can deepen the cooperation to pursue a path. Um, there's a lot of promises, and like you know, one of the paths is actually climate. So he says that. Uh, at the current rate, the things are going like India is poised to catch up to China in terms of emissions. And as you know, that uh, Prime Minister Modi has been a very strong advocate for looking at renewable energy and different technologies. Right. And he said that he thought it, there was a very strong potential to our countries to work together into this area. So, I mean, you can read whatever into it, but it seems that at least they seem to be on the same page apparently on uh, even on uh, climate change which they see as a, a great area of focus uh, even from the washington perspective which is actually good i think uh, i mean for a long long time uh, none of the foreign capitals were actually forthright in admitting that uh, the delhi government had actually achieved much more than what it had promised as part of the Paris Accord. So this kind of uh, statements coming out during the Senate hearings are actually, uh, they're going to be music for the uh, yeah. New Delhi seniors. Yeah. But I mean, as you said, it could be one thing to agree on thing. And then when the actual uh, emission cuts and uh, I mean, are they going to negotiate a new agreement that there could be some disagreement? But I mean, just like in 2008, uh, there could be some hard negotiations happen over uh, some new round of emission cuts. But if they are sticking to the Paris climate uh, change uh, targets, then I think it should be a smoother ride, you know. Agree, agree. Yeah, so uh, that's about uh, uh, trade negotiations and climate change. Uh, Mohal, you want to talk, uh, uh, talk about the security aspect? Yeah, so for the uh, the Indo-Regious relationship, like uh, an extremely important angle is the the defense one, especially right. in the light of uh, both the US and India's hope of uh, counterbalancing China. Now, security cooperation has become like kind of a buzzword for the partnership. Now, we have come a long way from the late 90s where India was declared as a natural ally under George W. Bush to a civil nuclear agreement uh, uh, to the recent uh, logistics agreement that have been signed. 
so the first of them was a logistics exchange and memorandum of agreement uh, lamoa which was signed in 2016 uh, between the obama administration and the modi administration mm-hmm. then uh, moving on to the trump i think uh, this security cooperation uh, moved at a much faster pace uh, where india was declared as a major defense partner and was able to receive access to a wide range of uh, military and dual used us technologies and in 2018 the two countries uh, started the 2 plus 2 strategic dialogue uh, and uh, we signed the the second of the three foundational agreements called kamkasa uh, the communications compatibility and security agreement and just this past october the last of them the beka the basic exchange and cooperation agreement was signed uh, to complete the trifecta of all the three security agreements and kishor i think we had uh, dwelled on this 2 plus 2 strategic dialogue uh, which was uh, signed between i think uh, uh, i think the current uh, secretary of state uh, mike pompeo Mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. sushma swaraj uh, back in 2018 i think this we had covered extensively in our episode 4 of our india rising uh, podcast no i think it was episode uh, right episode 4 you are right four, yeah. Yeah, yeah that was a long time back yes yeah two years uh, almost two and a half years ago so <laughs> yeah. yeah so um, now moving on to one of the issues that has been in the news lately so i wanted to cover a bit on it the katsa so this was actually interesting i think this was part of our episode 1 of our india rising podcast if i am not wrong or episode 2 i forget sorry do you recall that uh i think episode 1 yeah yeah episode 1 so basically catsa is like kind of a, a sanctions against countries which mm-hmm. uh, purchase uh, arms like major arms from uh, russia so uh now uh, uh india had uh, agreed to purchase s400 missile uh, system from russia and hence uh, us was looking to punish all the countries including turkey and india for this purchase and wanted to arm twist into dropping this purchase now this is like i think one of the major pain points between the two nations like i mean this is like one of the reasons why india would never went with either the f16 or the f18 for the original mmrca deal for buying a foreign fighter aircraft for the indian air force and like i mean we'll continue to have doubts over buying anything in the future also like a f21 that was recently offered to india or the the latest fifth generation f35 fighters you know i mean if you have to remember like um <clears throat> not only in the cold war like india would unilaterally cut off military supplies if india didn't tow their line or or we had imposed stringent sanctions including those on dual technology uh, items after like the nuclear test in pokhran 2 now even though let's say uh, the relations have, have been much better than what they were like let's say in the cold war 20 years ago but even if say let's say uh, india signs a deal for buying fighter jets let's say if the administration in dc changes or let's say if the administration didn't change but they just had a change of heart i mean india will be left practically hanging in the wind 
if they were uh, beholden to buying a, a, lo- a lot of aircraft from the US and they started, they just decided to stop supplies of it. I mean, just today I was reading reports, uh, Kishore, that the F-35 sale, which was approved to the United Arab Emirates was mm-hmm. the Biden administration is having second thoughts of uh, allowing that purchase. So, I mean, just like an example, like we have just today that if a purchase is agreed to and somehow in the future, if US suddenly decides to change their mind, I mean, India is left in a very precarious position, especially when the Indian Air Force squadron strength, as we all know, is like uh, reducing day by day and pretty soon we'll be below the 30 squadrons, mm. especially which will, which is pretty low considering the 42 uh, sanctioned squadrons for the Indian Air Force. So my whole point is like if India is US is serious about deepening a long-term strategic relationship with India in face of a ever aggressive China, it needs to see that measures like CATSA do more harm than good. I mean, this just gives practically more fuel to like critics of uh, a closer India and US relationship and would give many in Delhi a pause that like they, you can just say like, you know, hey, like we cannot rely on DC completely as we are bound to be arm twisted over what US wants in its self-interest. Now, hmm. on the other hand, this doesn't mean that all military purchases from the US will be under a Katsa threat. I mean, India is a practically a huge market for the US defense manufacturer. So I, I, I couldn't see like a zero import or a complete import ban into India or export ban to India. Sorry. I mean, I think for the last uh, decade or so, I think India has bought almost like over 10 billion in uh, defense equipment and is one of the biggest defense purchasers from uh, the US. But what this does is that any big ticket item like a fighter aircraft deal or a strategic purchase is India will like, you know, try to look elsewhere versus the US because, you know, they could be the threat of sanctions, uh, the, the, the sword of thre- uh, sanctions like, you know, hanging over their neck and nobody would want to take a chance. I mean, the, a good example is the purchase of the Rafale fighter jet from France, uh, which we have uh, preferred to buying, let's say, a F-16 or a F-18 from uh, the United States. So, um, I mean, India has diversified massively from procuring military hardware from Russia. I mean, as per some, uh, but still, I mean, almost two thirds of the hardware in, in Indian armory today is from Russia. So it's not easy to just break dependence from Russia, no matter how much arm twisting US does, whether there's Katsa or no Katsa. I mean, we are still going to buy a certain percentage of hardware from uh, Russia, whether US likes it or not. Also, some sensitive hardware, like a nuclear submarine, which we are leasing from the uh, Russians. The U.S. is no never going to lease it to us, who, no matter whoever is in charge of D.C. or however closer India and U.S. get in the future. So, I mean, like pushing India in a corner on sanctions when it really needs it as a, a big bulwark against China, uh, like won't help our cause. Uh, so, I mean, eventually there could be a lot of noise on Katsa, but I uh, think due to the bipartisan consensus on the Capitol Hill for India, uh, we should be able to get a waiver for it uh, when the time comes. Hmm. I think, yeah, I think uh, you are right in saying that, uh, that uh, Katha might only be used as a threat, more like a a dangling stick. Uh, And uh, they might want to, uh, they might want to use that selectively, use that threat selectively only to pursue their uh, interests further. Yeah. And I mean, 
who knows like there could be some negotiation they i mean we could say oh you know what we'll buy a little bit um, more hardware from you and you know they might conveniently forget about it or <laughs> they might be arm twist us to buy more hardware i mean we can say we we will not drop s400 but you know that other need we had you know we just remembered you are also selling that so we'll come buy something else from you and maybe we get away or so it will be part of some hard negotiations between both sides absolutely absolutely or even or even uh... Uh, manufacturing uh, uh, vaccines on a global scale uh, with uh, uh, US help. No, I, uh, I, I don't think the vaccine part. But it'll be some. It'll be some kind of trade-off of buying some new military hardware, in my opinion. You know. I mean, yeah. What you are saying is a trade-off for mil- uh, military hardware to military hardware. What I'm mm-hmm. saying is uh, just a simple trade-off of dollar to dollar. So I think, uh, yeah, we both differ there. But uh, yeah, uh, we need to see how. things to pan out but at least in terms of uh, trump uh, modi uh, uh, bonhomi i think they did not care for a uh, military hardware to military hardware exchange i think they were okay with uh, dollar to dollar exchange let's see how mm-hmm. things pan out yeah so the the next angle we wanted to cover was what will be the impact on uh, the indian domestic issues now as we all know that uh, uh trump has mostly chosen to see the other way on uh, in india's internal affairs as he was not interested uh, uh in the in, uh, the domestic uh, policies of india hmm. now the the state department under trump did issue some statements on hot button issues but i mean they were like more perfunctory and uh, nothing with uh, high amount of like uh, gravitas i would say i mean there were there are a lot of hot button issues for uh, like the human right activists and the ngo groups such as abolition of article 317 in kashmir the ca bill uh, freedom of speech religious freedom etc so these are like a, a hot button issues like where many people have a, a, a differing take with uh, the modi administration now the external affairs minister sj shankar uh, even when he was visiting us uh, i believe like before the pandemic he once he even famously refused to meet a U- group of us legislators which included the democratic house member pramila jaypal uh, who was a known critic of modi government on perceived human rights issues so now since the democrats are in charge of both the us house the senate and the white house i mean i'm it's like almost a, a given at this point that there will be more hearings held on such uh, contentious issues which are dear to the liberal lobby in mm-hmm. the united states and support the democrats yeah kishor go ahead you wanted to... yeah especially more so when you have a, a right wing government uh, out here in delhi so i think uh, there would be more such hearings trying to uh, shame the government or trying yeah. trying to catch them off guard yeah, yeah. i yeah. agree with you i'm including a little bit tevel uh, televised uh, hearings and uh, they will probably call a lot of witnesses to create a grand spectacle and just to get the most coverage you know now these events will definitely give a lot of fuel to the critics of the modi government i mean who hold them responsible for all these charges and want external pressure to be brought upon modi government including the united states of america mm-hmm. now this is bound to fill up the airways for a few days post these hearings 
and it is going to spawn i'm pretty sure a numerous op-eds on as to how badly the relationship is going for the modi government with the biden administration but mind you like see this will not be enough in my opinion to overcome the overarching direction of the india us relationship which is on the rise now there will be speed bumps along the way on uh, these domestic issues but one has to remember that the overall direction is uh, headed up uh, no matter what uh, in fact mohal i wanted to uh, bring out uh, a point in this regard uh, kunal singh uh, who tweets uh, with on the handle uh, d extrovert uh, he is a phd student in security studies at mit and also a journalist with the hindustan times in yeah, fact former he had former okay yeah so he was actually hoping i mean he was actually tweeting uh, saying that those who are hoping for an active kashmir policy by the biden administration will have to do with uh, mere sound bites he actually echoed what you uh, just said and he also said that uh, these people will actually claim victory even if they only get simple sound bites in fact uh, he uh, jo- he joked saying that uh, we are after all in the era of sound bites and uh, twitter outrage so uh, yeah i think uh, i think people do understand that uh, we will get to hear these occasional uh, wrong tunes uh, coming out of washington dc uh, mm-hmm. wrong tunes from uh, a modi uh, modi perspective i think uh, this will uh, this cannot be totally wished away but uh, both administrations do understand that beyond all these sound bites there is actual work to do yeah i mean i mean we live in a practically in a era of clickbait journalism and how do you claim the most trp is by putting out the most outrageous headlines i mean as you know that we <laughs> yeah. one of the reasons we started this podcast is to cut through all the clutter of spin and i mean practically like so many media organizations they just in engage in either spin or uh, like generating how do i generate outrage or get more eyeballs for my articles Exactly. so this this is this is bound to uh, create lot of media noise but i mean and like and many people on both sides of the aisle whether you support the modi admission or you are critic of they do get too worked up by such events and i think one needs to look at the larger 30000 foot picture no matter on which side of the aisle you stand uh, to see that the larger us relationship won't be affected by such events i mean india can hope that there is less of this patronizing commentary and lecturing from the us on democratic values and liberalism and more substantive progress on other fronts like uh, deepening military cooperation climate change a, a trade deal which can benefit both nations so we hope it's more the latter rather than the former which is uh, more like as you said like sound bites so and also another part is like many people do get upset that why does us comment on indian internal matters and i think uh, uh we have to from the indian perspective a little criticism is not that bad i mean it does look optically very bad and i'm pretty sure all the media will create a huge amount of outrage and uh, try to either uh be very angry at the biden administration if you are a pro government or be very glad if you are um, at the anti government but when i should remember that some of this including this public statements or hearings is to basically to placate certain lobbies in the domestic 
the audience is i doubt that us will be ready to push the envelope to such a far extent to fracture the overall relationship beyond repair i mean india can choose to ignore much of the complaints and should take it in stride as part of a growing pains of this burgeoning relationship as long as it doesn't become an excessive irritant you know Hmm. Agree. Sure. Agree. Yeah, I think I think the bilateral ties have come a very very long way from the uh, aggressive statements from the State Department uh, during the 1990s. Uh, the with the ties uh, maturing uh, in the past two three decades, I think uh, the aggressive statements have been toned down. One, two. Uh, India also uh, on uh, on the virtue of having uh, grown. uh substantially i think india yeah. also has learned to uh, ignore many of the uh, noises that come out uh, yeah. from time to time so i think yeah uh, overall overall it's a healthy yeah and also the outlook. i mean the i mean looking at economically the military state of india i mean as a i mean we can practically call ourselves a middle power so we were nowhere hmm. even the power differential between i mean i'm nowhere saying that india is going to be ahead of us but the power differential between like uh, india us and many other nations has grown tremendously uh, over the last two decades so i mean if you just compare it with those the the 90s where the state department was so hawkish on india i think a few statements here and there shouldn't trouble it obviously yeah. we didn't have so i mean we didn't have social media back then otherwise <laughs> it would be a completely different situation so uh, i think we should be okay if they criticize us a little bit i mean it's part of the process um i i personally wouldn't be too perturbed uh, over this uh, as long as it doesn't start to become an excessive irritant uh, as i said in the overall relationship you know yeah yeah so um coming to like an overall conclusion i mean uh, see like many uh, uh, cons- thinking about like the irritants in the relationship like many have also construed the close relationship between modi and trump including the howdy modi event in houston in 2019 and the kemcho trump in amdabad 2020 as a sign of modi and uh, uh, being best friends with trump and on the other hand not being able to get along with biden which mm-hmm. i don't think is true i mean modi was greeted well when he visited the us after being sworn in uh, as india's prime minister in 2014 and he did get along well with biden kishor uh i agree i agree but then uh, we also need to see how uh, biden administration uh, will they be able to overlook uh, modi's call of upkeep uh, trump sarkar although although modi was not directly pitching for uh, trump getting reelected but uh, these subtle statements can actually be misinterpreted and i think uh, that is one thing that uh, uh, i hope is not uh, taken in the wrong uh, sense in uh, dc by the lower level bureaucrats and uh, just let uh, biden and uh, modi yeah. uh, go ahead with their uh, uh, with their mm-hmm. chemistry at the top level Yeah, so even like today, I mean, in another in the same Senate hearing for uh, Secretary of State Blinken, mm-hmm. I think uh, he did highlight this goal, growing cooperation all the way from the Clinton administration to George W. Bush, and even uh, he did outline like the a concept of an Indo-Pacific, and he also mentioned that uh, we are working with India so that no country in the region, including China, could challenge its sovereignty 
and also working with it on concerns that we share about terrorism so and he also goes on to mention that we can deepen the cooperation uh to pursue a path that successive administrations have put us on so i mean mm-hmm. as we said like i think it looks like positive obviously this will there'll be some of this irritants but i think uh, modi and biden both being skilled uh, political operators like uh, who are not nowhere nowhere novices maybe unlike like a, somebody like a trump uh, and who's not mercurial like a trump can put aside such differences to work together for the greater good you know yeah yeah agree agree i think uh, we could not have told uh, had the same uh, had uh, trump uh, uh, been in this place i mean we would have been doubtful if uh, trump would be able to overlook modi's call for akbar biden sarkar uh, <laughs> but i think uh, yeah. this way around i think uh, it's it's far less uh, doubtful yeah yeah i mean see i think the the two administrations will get along obviously there will be some noises on as i said the 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 indian domestic issues but like if you keep them aside mostly like see people forget that over the past two decades there has been rapprochement between the india and us since the nuclear test which was probably kind of a a low in the relationships over let's say the last three decades mm. now since then no matter who has been in power in both india and us we have they have continued to work with each other on a whole host of issues and the relationship keeps growing so i mean primarily in india we have the two political parties in power like the bjp or the congress and in uh, the republicans and the democrats in the us so i mean just i'll go through the scenarios of combinations of which presidents and prime ministers have worked together so we have vajpayee bjp and george w bush republican then you had after that manmohan singh from congress and bush republican Mm-hmm. which was followed by manmohan singh congress and obama democrat yep. which was then followed by modi bjp and obama democrat which was then uh with modi bjp and trump republican and now i mean so like you can see like we practically covered all the possible combinations of ref- left wing and right wing so called governments on both sides and the relationship has always continued to grow and i foresee that it will keep growing the pace of growth obviously will be dependent on what the both sides do and what can they agree upon but it will continue to grow i mean see like a two decades ago the us relationship with india i mean kishore as you very well know was always hyphenated with pakistan for most of the history during the cold war right now what mm-hmm. has happened is that the change now is that the the hyphenation is still there i mean <laughs> even though we don't like it but i mean i mean it's not like it's a pseudo hyphenation i wouldn't say like a complete hyphenation like before but the hyphenation is with china like which is the third player in this equation mm-hmm. so biden is still cognizant of the fact that i mean china is a bad player like trump but i mean trump for all he did on the massive pushback against china he went about in like a random not very coordinated like like his like his personality i mean instead of gathering all the allies against china like trump hmm. picked up fights versus all the allies even including like trade wars and stuff so what biden at least has mentioned that you know i will seek to see a seek a coherent pushback versus china versus doing like a one on one fight versus china which how trump did so that could be part of the good news hmm. i mean but executing it and saying it is like two different things at all i mean 
because on the other hand we have the other major actor in all this right i mean we have the the china india and us but also then you have the fourth player russia now trump has observed reluctance to call out russia for its trans- transgressions and bad actions i mean including some recent hacking attempts which has enraged the democrats to know and i mean some of them have bitter memories of the 2016 election which they feel like there was like a massive collusion by the trump campaign with russia but i mean which uh, the the mueller report and everything has like uh, not been able to prove so they feel like the trump is like influ- is under the influence of putin and they want a harder pushback against russia going forward which is like fine i mean but the us uh but you have to keep in mind that it doesn't mean that if you go hard against russia you don't like ease the pressure against china i mean us administration under trump to its credit had the most probably the most adversarial relationship with china maybe dating back to let's say the eisenhower or the kennedy administrations i mean trump did initiate a trade war with china and put out very public statements against china and coupled with the pandemic and the trade war i mean people have come to known like china is a very bad actor but we just hope that the greater focus the biden admission puts on dealing with russia which is another angle to this doesn't mean you ta- you ease the pressure on uh china with some fear i mean there are like both sides to the arguments while some argue that okay biden has been soft on china before and he'll continue to be soft while others argue that there is a uh, seismic shift in how even people on capitol hill uh, view china so even if it's a biden the, he won't be even if he wanted to he won't be able to change the the adversarial relationship of the thing i mean only time will tell which of the two camps is correct on it but coming back to how it affects india now let's say if there is more focus on pushback against russia let's say we have katsa and uh more pressure against russia i mean china i mean russia is going to go into more into the china's camp which it practically is at at this moment so now for india that creates a tricky situation because it will have to if it thinks that okay if us is pressuring it on katsa if it's taking a more uh, uh, hardened approach against russia mm-hmm. then you know it needs us as a more stronger ally against beijing now if it's not going to provide it it's going to create a issue where india initially is like hey like you know what maybe growing close to us was might not be it's good up to a certain extent but i don't want to go fully in the us camp because i have to at the end of the day i mean i have a land border with china i have to if there is a war i mean us is not going to come fight with i mean we are not even a treaty ally of uh, us so you know i might have to do seek, seek some side of temporary settlement you know with beijing and not break the relationship completely so india will have to like maybe rework its relations with moscow and beijing so it all depends on how the biden camp approaches the russia and the china angle if they go easy on china then india has to rework stuff with moscow and beijing so it's it's going to be like a fascinating uh, few years to see how this uh, uh, triangles between like india china us and the other trilateral between i'm not a trilateral actually but a, uh, the added triangle between india russia and uh, us uh, proceed over the next few years okay sure. in fact yeah in fact uh, during uh, obama second uh, term uh, there was this uh, hot uh, term called uh, pivot to asia 
where mm-hmm. he wanted to focus more on uh, the east asia east asian countries the the previous decade where the focus under george w bush was the middle east and the war on terror so they wanted to shift towards the east asia again precisely China. yeah yeah so uh, and and the focus there was more towards the outlying uh, pacific islands of uh, taiwan and uh, all the other islands in the south china sea uh, so yeah i think uh, uh, obama uh managed to get some kind of verbal assurances from uh, chinese president uh, xi jinping telling that uh, they are not keen on militarily uh, strengthening the south china sea region but then eventually we all know that uh, china walked back on its promises if at all you want to com- uh, call it a promise so i think uh, with uh, biden coming coming in Uh, he would want to uh, he would want to take this uh, pivot to asia uh, outreach uh, forward in some kind of a meaningful manner uh, and i think this is where india would want to see how us would want to accommodate india um, especially in the region now that uh, they have merged the uh, they have, they, have, they now have strategically uh, created a indo pacom uh, region Uh, so i think uh, india would want to see for itself how uh, the biden administration looks at india more from a uh, asian slash pacific angle and uh, this would uh, also uh, uh, give out many answers to questions on how does uh, washington want delhi to act when it comes to uh, south china sea and uh, phonops and all other aspects um mm-hmm. yeah so i think also uh, the other thing is that uh, remember during the trump presidency we had a lot of ad hoc statements coming in from uh, the, uh, uh, the president himself in the form of tweets exactly mm-hmm. uh, or even like uh, during press conferencing some random statements you know <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah so he would he would wake up uh, each day and uh, kind of figure out uh, which country to uh, rub the wrong way and some day <laughs> it would be india some day it would be some other allies or some day it would be china so you never know uh, you would never be able to guess uh how uh, biden would feel about your country on a on any given particular day so i think uh, uh, countries did take some time to get used to that kind of rhetoric coming from uh, none less than uh, the president of the united states and beyond the point i think all these countries started uh, ignoring many of the uh, rants that were coming in but now that we have a far more experienced hand uh, in the form of uh, joe biden i think uh, it would it, i don't want to call it business as usual but i think it would at least go back to some kind of semblance uh, to uh, far more decent uh, uh, communications happening between two capitals uh, in a, in a global stable steps i mean it might not be uh, what india wants but at least it will be like more predictable uh, versus this ad hoc stuff like where you could have one policy the other one day and then the next day uh, president uh, with a tweet blows it up completely out of the water you know right i think i think th- uh, that is what uh, everybody kind of agrees uh, that this this might be a good thing to happen uh, so yeah let's see how uh, things actually do uh, pan out now having said that 
India, uh, I mean, New Delhi should uh, uh, also understand that uh, you might not have a complete reversal also. Say, for example, uh, Biden would not uh, totally commit himself to uh, complete uh, pullback of troops uh, from Afghanistan, or he might not even overly commit to saying, you know what, we will uh, uh, replenish the troops in uh, Afghanistan. So I think there may be some amount of uh, monkey balancing happening from uh, the Biden administration itself. And uh, New Delhi will uh, want to read between the lines and uh, understand that uh, they don't want uh, any uh, any overall uh, uh, statement one mm -hmm. way or the other also uh, the other uh, the other advantage is that you would not uh, uh, see uh, mercurial statements coming in saying uh, why can't uh, why can't i mediate between india and pakistan over the kashmir dispute or uh, uh, when uh, when it comes to these uh, skirmishes that India and Pakistan occasionally have. Uh, Trump had always been at the forefront telling, uh, I can actually negotiate between uh, these two countries. And that was something that India never actually vouches for. So uh, these mm -hmm. all these statements will come to an end. Uh, you will not see, uh, hopefully, you will not see uh, this kind of offers coming uh, time and again. Uh, I think that's what uh, would uh, everybody feel that uh, there would be less of heartaches going forward. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Mohal, uh, anything else to add before we wind up? Uh, no, I think you summarized it well. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, uh, before we wind up, I think uh, we'll have to focus on our uh, recommendations. And uh, in this episode, we both have a joint recommendation. This is uh, uh, an article that was published on uh, the print. It's uh, titled India should be relieved that Biden won and uh, Modi Trump bond can only go so far. And I think that is uh, kind of what even we have elaborated on uh, in this uh, episode. So, uh, yeah, so with that, uh, we come to the end of this week's episode where we looked at how a new Biden administration can take the U.S. India relationships going forward. To continue hearing about such interesting topics, do subscribe to our channel India Rising wherever you are listening to us. And if you're actually listening to us on YouTube, please do press the bell icon to get notifications about new episodes. If you have not left us a review yet, we we urge you to do so, as it helps other listeners like you in finding us. We would also like to hear from you if you have any other suggestions on any topic that would uh, that you would want us to cover. But uh, we want you to remember that these topics should actually be directly related to Indian foreign policy. So until the next time, this is Mohal and Kishore signing off. Mm -hmm.